So what do you guys think of the book of James so far? Because James is uh, James is a tough pill to swallow sometimes. Why? Because he, like the rest of the Bible, calls on truth. And how many of us like to live in an altered sense of the truth? A parallel universe, if you will. Right, like, I just want what I want the way that I want it, and then I'll throw some stuff in it and everything will be good, right? James is going to be hitting some stuff today that's going to make you twitch a little bit. It's going to make you uncomfortable. Should the Bible make you feel uncomfortable? Should the Word of God call you up and call you out on your stuff? Should it make you feel uncomfortable, or should you feel a comfort in that? What do you think? I think you should feel uncomfortable at times. Okay, that's probably the best answer. You should feel uncomfortable at times. Because what's that called? What's that called when you feel uncomfortable as you're perusing through the Bible? As you're doing your study? Yes, it's conviction, absolutely. And so if you're not convicted by the Word of God once in a while, then you might want to check your heart. You might want to see if you're actually a follower of Jesus Christ or just a sitter of the pew. Okay, so what do you call this thing? This is a chair. Now what's the purpose of the chair? To sit on. What's the purpose of the person who sits in it? To sit on. Be comfortable, right? So this will this will be revolutionary for some of you. But watch this chair, okay? Watch it closely and watch what it does. All right, I'm going to back up. What's it doing? What's the chair doing? It's sitting there being a chair. Who's control? Who's making that thing a chair? Right? Like, doesn't it require that a good, good dressed-up Christian sit in it for it to be a chair and for it to work? And it comes magic because it's got a three-inch foam pad, and it's blue and pretty. And thus it's magical. It must simply be magical because that's what many a Christian think, or seem to think. By resting your buttocks upon said chair, something holy comes from it. Hallelujah. There may or may not be some sarcasm in that. There may or may not be a point to that. That chair will sit there and be a chair whether anybody's in this building or not. <coughs> the beautiful part about coming to church, gathering and worshiping corporately, is that we gather as a body of brothers and sisters, creating a safe environment 
where we can all learn to live and learn to study and learn to love, learn who God is, learn who we are in God. Amen? And that's a pretty awesome thing. So if, if we think that just coming here is the magic bullet, we're definitely mistaken. And I do mean definitely. Because it's an eternity in hell. If you've come just to hold the chair down, it's an eternity in hell. If you've come to learn, that's an amazing thing. If you feel conviction in your heart by some of the words of God, that's a really good thing. Really good. Don't be afraid of conviction. Embrace it. Understand what it's saying to you. And so like we've said in the past, Luther at first did not like this book at all. And he thought it should not be in the Bible. Because it countered what Paul was writing in other pieces of the Bible. Or so it seems. And so here we go. We're going to get into this. And we're going to go, we're going to backtrack. We're going to start with James. James 2.13. So if you turn in your Bibles... James 2. All right, Jesus. James 2.13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is from... Uh, Matthew Henry, the commentator that I use all the time, he says, if you show no mercy now, you shall find no mercy in the great story. So what are some of the things that we're counting on? What are some of the things that faith draws us to? Faith tells me that I'm forgiven. And I hope, beyond all hope, that I am truly forgiven. That I know that I will have to answer up to some things. Like, Fred, I did this, and you did that. What, what was that? But I know, because of what the Word of God tells me, that I have forgiveness. And so, because I love Jesus in my heart and confess Him with my mouth, that I am saved. I'm forgiven of my sins, but I walk on that because guess what? I sinned today. I'm not saying that it's okay, but I'm saying that I'm trying and I'm working to get better at the very things that God is convicting my heart of, to be a better person, a better pastor, a better friend, a better father, a better husband. But if all I can do is point out all the stuff that everybody in the world is doing wrong and never see the things that I'm doing wrong, then what am I doing? Am I taking the time to understand my own things? Or is it a lot easier to point out everybody else so I don't have to look at me? When I read the Word of God and He tells me to have mercy on people, am I showing mercy to people? Or am I just being right? Because did you know that I'm not the only one that does stupid stuff? Did you know that? So the same thing that I would ask from other people, that they understand my heart, they understand who I am, 
that they would show mercy on me, not hammer the living tar out of me like sometimes I deserve, but rather help point me. They would help me to see a different perspective in life so that I didn't have to go that way. Or maybe God's showing me. Right? I'm hoping beyond all hope that we as a body of believers can change the way that we see the world that we live in and the people that we live with. Jesus did not have to die on a cross for us to adopt a critical spirit. Did you know that? And yet, watch us go. How many of you guys are really good at pointing everybody's stuff out? <coughs> See, because one of my sins happened this morning because I wore the wrong colored shoes. Black shoes, to me, go well with this outfit. Amen. But to somebody else, I should have worn the brown ones. And thing? so because I didn't wear the brown ones, I got that look. Like, oh, uh, uh. What does that do to me? Right away, it crushed my spirit. It just, it tanked me. Because I thought black went with everything. That's my perspective. Black goes with everything. Brown is the color that doesn't necessarily go with everything. Black does. That's the way it was when I grew up. And I did not get the memo that that has ever changed. Right? Like, if you just need a pair of shoes to go with whatever, grab the black ones, man, you're in. Apparently, that's But why, why would that cause me to be upset? Why would that make me feel less than? You see, because what I have to do is I have to understand that perhaps this person who mentioned my shoes maybe actually has a different perspective or maybe perhaps it's better. <coughs> it was about a shoe, it wasn't about me. Nothing in the statement, nothing, it wasn't even a statement, it was a look, and I know the look, good and learned looks, right? But nothing in that look said that I was anything less than. It was all about my shoes, so any perspective that I had about that look, I cast it from wherever, from a belief system, and I twisted it instantly to be a dig on me. That's inaccurate. And so, gosh, if somebody means the best for you, then can you just zip your lip and take your perspective and understand and say, thank you, but I'm still going to the black. Got the black sapatos, son. Negro sapatos. You see, I have to have a little mercy on the giver of the look. And I have to have a little mercy on the receiver of the look. And we have to learn how to do this, how to walk through this world with a little bit of mercy. 
Because again, I'll say that Jesus did not need to die on the cross so that I could have a critical spirit. Jesus died on the cross to show me that I'm good enough. From the beginning of time, I've been good enough. And I am not the sum of the mistakes that I've made. And yes, I made them this morning, and I can dig on myself, and I can tear myself apart for whatever. But is that what God is calling me for? Is that his best for me? Because that's his intent. He gave his best for me. And I have to receive that. And to receive that means that I give that out because his mercy and his grace and his love are more than my little heart and my little mind can hold. I can't hold it all. So have I received the fullness of his glory? And if I have, am I giving it out? And it may come for mercy. Because if I don't show mercy, if all I'm doing is walking in a critical spirit, I need to look and make sure that I have Jesus as my Savior. Because walking in here, don't cut it. The chairs sit here just fine. James 2.13, what is the greatest? So what is the greatest commandment? Matthew 20, 22, 37, 40. <coughs> love God. Love God. Yeah. It's where we find love God and love your neighbor. Right? What's the importance of that? What part of critical is love? What part of love is critical? So if you are a critical person, where's the love? Because I'll say it again, you can be right as rain and still be wrong as hell. And I will say that until I go to my grave because I need to know that. I need to keep that in my thoughts. Just because I'm right doesn't mean that I'm right. How am I going to love my neighbor through whatever's going on? How am I going to see, receive a look about my shoes and say, oh, you're probably right. Versus <clears throat> right? right? What is the point of this commandment? Where does it come from and what does it really mean? Where does this commandment come from? To love God and love neighbor? From who? From God, right? And so who do I listen to? Who's my ultimate instructor? Who is the, the giver of life? Who is the one that I should always listen to? God, right? Like, we're not doing rocket science here. This is basic math. Basic. So is it a commandment or natural fruit? So it's a commandment, but if I have Jesus in my heart, do I need the commandment?
to love somebody, or should that just come out? Remember what I talked about. I have received God in His fullness and His glory and His grace and His mercy in me. My heart and my mind are too small to hold it all, and so it just flows out. That direct relationship, that vertical relationship with God fills me so full that I'm overflowing out. Does it have to be a commandment or should it just come natural? And so in saying that, is there fruit, is there evident fruit in the Christian and the way they behave? And thus, if there is fruit that's evident or should be evident, is it fair to see or to look or to observe when somebody knows in trouble? So you gotta understand the person's character and who's 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 giving you the grief. Where's all the crud coming from? Is it normal for them? If it's normal for them, is Christ in there? Do they need help walking through it? Are they willing to receive help? Are they willing to go to God? Are they willing to go to their pastor to work through what's going on in their life? Well, 15 years of pastoring, I could say that most people don't go to their pastor. Most people are so filled with pride, the last thing they're going to do, or there's also been a lot of hurt in the church. I've heard of uh, counseling, marriage counseling, um, in certain denominations that say, just have another baby, it'll be okay. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I know somebody with nine kids. And I think six of them are born from trouble in marriage. James 2.14 What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? James tears this apart. He looks at it. Now here's, here's where Paul might have had a little bit of issue with this because what does this one say? Romans. Go to Romans. Romans chapter 3. It's right after the Gospels. Right after the book of Acts. Right before 1st or 2nd Corinthians.
it's just one of those places where the Bible contradicts itself and you can just throw in pieces out, right? Because oftentimes we don't want to take the time to understand what's really being said. What does he say? Works of the law. What is the law? What did we learn last week about the royal law? Thou shalt not murder, right? Remember those things? It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Paul not only speaks of different works from these insisted on by James, but he speaks of a quite different use that was made of good works from what is here urged and intended. Paul had to do with those who depended on the merit of their works in the sight of God. So if you remember that once upon a day, you could only have works. Works were the only things that they were looking for that would satisfy. There are still religions or faiths that tell you that you have to be works. We talked about it a little bit last night. But we talked about works and certain sects and certain faith-based things that you had to do so much good. How many of you know people who are banking on good works? Right? So you bring your Christian viewpoint to mind and you say, well, they're still going to hell. Well, they can't be going to hell. They do good works. Right? And this is the same thing that was believed before Jesus Christ came, that you could do enough good works to get you where you needed to go. That was the evidence of your faith, one might say. So you see... James is saying, out of that relationship with God comes works. Paul is speaking to a different people that said, faith, not your works. So you see, Paul is saying faith. James is saying, out of faith comes works. The two complement each other, not contradict each other. But one can easily look and people will try and tell you that they contradict each other. But they do not at all. Galatians 5, 6. Go to Galatians 5, 6. That's a couple of books after 2 Corinthians. So it says... For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So whether you're Jew or Greek doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. What? But only faith working through love. You see how that ties those two together, the James verse? And the Romans verse, and this ties them together, and here comes Paul speaking that out in, in a language that we can easily understand. You see, the Bible is inter interdependent of itself with individual stories, but they all come together. They all work one and for all. And so we get this, but only faith working through love. Thus we see that our persons 
are justified before God by faith, but our faith is justified before men by works. You see, because nobody cares if you come to church on a Sunday morning. They care if you walk it out Sunday afternoon through Saturday evening. James 2, 15 to 17. This is where we get it working out. This is where we get Paul or James really trying to working on dissecting this so that we get a better understanding of what he's talking about. If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. One of the problems that I see in America is prosperity. Does that mean that I don't think that we should be able to prosper? You see, I think so oftentimes in America, we work so hard to get the toys in life. We work so hard to get the dreams that we don't have. We don't create margins where we can live a generous, compassionate life and actually help brothers and sisters out. Now that might fly in the face of all the prosperity gospel folks because this is where they're going to come in here and say, give, 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 and God will bless, 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 right? You've all heard it. If you send us a check right now for $587.36, the next 400 people to do it, I swear to God that he will give you $7,000 in your bank account, I swear it. We've all heard it, we've all made jokes, we've all seen it. But you know, as for us lowly, just little old believers, there's a point of understanding God's will for our life. God wants you to have good and wonderful things. He is a good gift giver, amen? Every good and perfect gift comes from God. But what is the will of God? What are our struggles and our fights? Why are most or a lot of marriages ending because of financial strain? Why is that? If husband and wife are in line with one another and ultimately in line with God, then why would money tear us apart? And yet it does, even in the church. The next one is sex. Give you this one for free. Ultimately, all these problems that are breaking up marriages in the church comes from poor communication. We are not communicating expectations and we're not following through on expectations. And those expectations come from the will of God. Not what I think is right, but what is God calling us to? And how do we do this? How do we do it? Communication is key. It's crucial. It's vital. If you're in a marriage and you're not talking about your stuff, you got to figure out how to go to your pastor, go to whatever. We've got to get there. Trust me, in our first nine months, we're learning about communication a lot. And uh, we have a couple of 
differences? Or is it just one? 256. <laughs> All right, 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You see it on Facebook and it burns my bacon because people are angry at the church and think that the church should save the world. Why would that make you mad? Why would that statement upset me? Right? Like when everything goes bad, then they blame the church or they blame God. Why would that upset me? For one, it's not true. Right? Like God. <laughs> Satan, the way that America is going, Satan can be really, really lazy right now. He doesn't need to work real hard. Because he planted the seed, the seed is growing, and now stupid is prevalent. You see, I can guilt and shame you to do works in the church. Or you believe. Is that is that good? Is that a good motivator? Well, if you really love Jesus, you do this. If you really love Jesus, you do that. Is that accurate? Is it fair? Is it true? Is that, is that causing you to operate in faith or fear? Fear, right? And that is not what God is about. God is not about guilt and shame. He doesn't need to motivate by that. But he operates and motivates by love. And out of that love, Flows the work, flows the things that he's calling us to. And I drew a line on here under 19. You believe that God is one. Why is that there? I kind of wondered, and I want to research this farther. Is this an answer to a suspicion that God is three in one at this point in time? Because there are certain other polytheistic faiths that believe in hundreds. One of the faiths has over three million gods. Three million. But mind you this, that even if you do believe that, the devil still believes it as well. So where's your faith? 20 to 22, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was acted along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And that's found in Genesis 22. The story of Abraham and Isaac when he took them up on the mountain? 
Because he had faith in God, because he put his trust in God, he was willing to take his only son that he had waited how long for? He was, he was well in age. He would be older than any of us here, yet he was willing in faith to do what God called him to do. Shows us that he had a relationship with God, that he knew God's voice, and that he was willing to be obedient. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. So you see, in the church we always have this thing where 10% of the church serves 90% of the church. One might argue that 90% of the work or 90% of the church doesn't have faith. You could make that argument. I don't know. I don't know the accuracy or the validity of it. But ten percent out of those ten percent, some of them might just be doing it out of shame. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Rahab's found in Joshua 2. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works? Do you remember what she did? The spies came in, and she put them up. She said that nobody was there. They were hidden in her place. In the morning, they were let out through the wall. Why would she do that? She's a prostitute, certainly of no good value. In our minds, in our eyes. And so you see, we have to look at perspective again. We have to bring this picture of a godly perspective, of a godly worldview. How are we seeing God in everything that we do? How are we seeing these things? What is God calling us to? Because you can be right and right and still be wrong as hell. Amen. And you need to decide whether it's more important to be right or whether it's more important to be righteous. You need to understand that God is calling us to something, that God is calling us from something. You need to be able to leave what was to enter what is. Right? Have any of you guys ever drug a 150-pound boat anchor behind you? Just tie it around your waist and go for a walk around the block. Tell me how you feel. If you don't have a 150-pound anchor, I'll come over and sit and hold a rope. And you can drag me on my bottom around the block and we'll talk the whole way. But that's what we're doing. We're so fixed on what the world has taught us, our belief systems, that we're unwilling to let our belief systems go to change them for a new worldview, change them so that our perspective can change and we can see situations the way that God does, so that we can see that God is calling us to love our neighbor and love him first and foremost, that we can see that maybe the things that we're chasing aren't the best or the will of God for our lives, maybe we can put some of these things down so that we can actually get up and walk the way that God is calling us to 
Right now, the internet is blowing up on reels and TikTok about people giving other people money for being whatever. You know, whoever will help me out with a little bit of gas, they give the money back and then they give them all this money for doing it, for being nice. And you're not giving God the glory. What in your life did Jesus need to die for? You see, that's a tough question. That's a conviction. Because I have to keep my eyes set on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of my faith. Otherwise, I go back to doing stuff Presley. And I will tell you what. Yahweh is much better than Presley. Much better. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is always better to do things the way that God has called me to than it is to do it on my own. So, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings.